Hey, yeah, no peoples. We're in season four, and we want to thank you for joining us on this wonderful journey. If you haven't yet, please consider subscribing to us. We love that you listen, but subscribing will help us more than you'll ever know. Regardless of which method you use to listen to your podcasts, please, 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 please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you, and we want to know what's working, what's not. You can also drop us a line at our website, yeahnopodcast.com. But if all that's too much, we get it. The smallest contribution is subscribing. Thanks again for listening, and we intend on delivering a kick-ass fourth season for you. Hi, this is Mia. And this is Tina. And you're listening to Yeah No, a podcast about having a business at the intersection of design and healthcare. How's it going? Good. How good. are you doing? Good. I'm excited for this episode. We've got a, a lot of good last few episodes of season four. It's exciting. Yeah. So we're back in the studio today because we were listening to this episode, episode 38, and we just thought that it was a little bit of an anomaly. Yeah. I think that our guest, Christian Madsberg, is really fantastic and talks a lot about this third wave of design that he's been thinking about. And it's not specific to healthcare, but I think that we found that there were a lot of analogs or corollaries to the work that we're doing. And we thought it would be good if we could just talk about it a little bit before we share the episode with everyone. Let's just go back just a little bit though, backing up to the origins maybe of this episode. Okay. So <laughs> that was my truck. Back up. Okay, let's back it up. Back it up. So Christian Matsberg is a very old friend of ours. And I feel like you and I do this a lot. We have a question or we are thinking about something and then the way that we kind of process it is that we get in touch with people that we trust and we love to think through it with us. And Christian has always been a nice friend and colleague in that way, always inviting us to his beautiful studio. He works at Red Associates. Yeah, he's the founder of Red. Founder of Red and a partner at Red. Red is a great studio kind of focused in social sciences that does work with a lot of different clients and helping to conduct research and understand users and uh, much, but much more from kind of a social science perspective. And we partnered with them on a project a few years back when we were at J&J and we've been colleagues with him ever since. He's very cerebral, very thoughtful, very, you know, progressive in his thinking. And he has such fantastic views and we love to just pick his brain and have opportunities to pontificate on what the future kind of looks like and and what we're heading towards and aspects of design. And he really appreciates design, even though he's not a designer um, by background. For sure. For sure. He always gives us a pot of tea and we have a nice chat. Delicious, amazing tea in beautiful Royal Copenhagen tea set. I I feel so very like Danish when I'm sitting with him. Um, And then we talk about design. Christian brought up this idea of a a new wave of design, which kind of harkens back or goes back to thinking about design and what the role of design is. And I just love this idea of design having a vision and an aesthetic and design being positioned in the world as bringing in delight and 
providing kind of more engaging and, and great experiences. And I think we moved back away from that a little bit in design practice because there was a feeling like, you know, did it get too superficial? Are we only looking at it from a surface point of view? But I think what we'll hear is this kind of new melding of bringing it back to aesthetics while still considering, you know, everything that we know about where design can support, you know, these really complex problem solving activities. One of the most salient points for me was that design has lost kind of its point of view. And I think that working in healthcare, one of my biggest challenges has been that designers are always, you know, brought in to bring in a process or an innovation or a visual that maybe people haven't thought of. And they kind of have lost the designer's perspective yeah. and almost their their style and their way of thinking they're just kind of brought in like oh well let's just check this box or or they're going to bring us this process that we can use yeah partially it's because healthcare is focused so much on efficiency or in problem solving which are great things for designers to think about but they're not being brought on as well let's bring in this person because they're going to provide us with a completely different way of thinking. They're going to bring in their personality, their attitude, their experience in this world. And instead, they're just thinking, well, hopefully we can use this process as a way to get us out of this problem that we're in. Yeah. So here's the episode, and we hope that you enjoy it. I think that there's some really fantastic pieces in here for designers and non-designers alike, and especially because Christian as a non-designer and us as a designer are kind of coming together and being able to have a conversation about just where, what is the place for design in this world. Yeah. We think it's a great episode, so enjoy. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Hi, Christian. <laughs> Hi. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Good. Even though you're not technically our last episode in the season, you're our last recording for the season. So we're excited okay. to have you. You did a lot. I saw the list. Yeah. <laughs> we, do, we do 10, 10 a season in our copious wow. amounts of free time. I'm um, honored. <laughs> we're, we're honored, honored to, to have you. you. Oh, jinx. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Christian Matsberg, and I have been working as a management consultant for two decades. I'm also a professor of applied humanities at the New School, and I still work with clients, in my case, different large, very large um, corporations, different places in the world, mostly in the U.S., where I try to advise on human behavior. So basically what's um, important to people, how do we move you know, through our world and uh, what makes sense to people. And that has led to uh, a fair bit of writing, so hundreds of articles, but also um, some books lately. The latest book is called Sensemaking that came out a couple of years ago and came out, uh, still coming out different places in the world where some people even read it, uh, <laughs> at least buy it. I don't know if they read it. So that's, I, I suppose, that's my background. Great. And you have a new book, yeah? Well, I have a, I have a book coming that I'm slaving over right now oh, called yeah. How to Pay Attention. 
Um, and it's about perception, really. It's about how perception works, how we see things, and sort of the philosophical ground of that, and also basically how you can train yourself in paying attention in a disciplined and organized way. Paying attention to people around you, you know, different kinds of phenomena in the world. Um, this time, I'm. It's much less of a of a sort of a, a work related book. It's much more of a, a book about art and design and uh, literary uh, works that are the examples. Basically, a collection of my heroes um, from the past hundred years or so. That's great. That's exciting. We're looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. It's kind of a perfect segue to talk about what we brought you on today for. We've been colleagues for several years, and we were just recently chatting about where design is today and a little bit about where we see design and the history of design and how it's influenced where it is today. And you had some interesting thoughts, and so we wanted to bring you on to talk about them. So let's just start there. How do you define design, and where do you think it's going? Well, I don't, I don't know how I define design, but certainly it's very nebulous how design is defined right now and has been expanded ra radically over the last two decades. So design used to be, a long time ago, maybe maybe in the 70s or 80s, it used to be about aesthetic vision and about craft. So you would have people, let's say in the architectural space, it's still existing, but in the in the in product design, you'd have people like uh, Karim Rashid or Philip Stark, who basically represented a style or an aesthetic and a particular vision of what things ought to look like. And they implemented that on every single product you could imagine. Know, Karim Rashid had a thousand products out at the same time. But then that was attacked by primarily Silicon Valley-based, that sort of American uh, style of design, which ended up being called design thinking. And it was the idea that people like Philip Stark really didn't know what people that used the products, what their lives were like, which was why designers should immerse themselves in the lives of the, and they used the word users, so by users, they mean the people using them as users, not as people, but as users. And they should do sort of quick experiments uh, by trying to be like the user. And uh, I suppose the, the IDO shopping cart video was sort of the first beginning of that, where by thinking of yourself as a shopper, you could redesign a uh, a shopping cart. It never ended being produced, however many billion hits it got. Um, nobody ever made it, so I don't know how effective that <laughs> idea was. But the idea was that you could, like, quite quickly, the designer had this superpower of, of immersing themselves in the designer's world, which meant that they, rather than Philip Starks, did design things. Uh, because Philip Starks sat in a nice apartment somewhere in Paris, and didn't go out and look at the world. Um, and that ended up as design thinking, and I think we're at the end of that phase um, now. I think, I mean, most of those companies are struggling, the people that have been doing this design thinking. It lives in the universities, but most of the design thinking companies have either been bought up and crushed by big consultancies, or they're just 
financially struggling because most of it didn't work. And the problem with a lot of that has also been that aesthetically it didn't have any vision, right? It was it was not about beauty anymore, and that led to things looking very alike. And you know, if you look at the, sort of the Silicon Valley style of design that has been um, torturing us the last 20 years, it's this sort of very friendly, soft, rounded corners, probably white style of design that that it, whatever it was, whether it was a toothbrush or a medical technical device, it all looked the same. Mm-hmm. Which is strange if you think about it, because people are quite different um, and uses are quite different. Um, and it was a it was a twenty year hegemony where design, you know, was expanded to be everything. You know, I've heard I've heard that the climate crisis is a design problem, and that you know the welfare state is a design problem. And I think both climate scientists and, and politicians and political scientists would disagree with that. Sure. Um, so, so I think that right now we're at a time where maybe we should integrate some of the learnings from the past many years and say there is certainly something about putting yourself into the into the world of users, and there was certainly something about design being more than just pure styling. But maybe we lost aesthetics on the way, and we lost craft. And we lost different kinds of aesthetic visions. And also, maybe the user idea is a little narrow, right? That, that users, of course, I mean, I use my phone and I use my laptop and I use my bed, but I'm not just a user. I'm also maybe more, I hope. And, and that's something that social science can do. And uh, some social science have been integrated, but it's very light in the design world. So I think what's going to happen, I think a third wave, if the first wave is Philip Stark and the second wave is Frog or sort of that style of user-centered design, I think the third wave will be a return to aesthetic vision and an integration with social science. So I'm quite hopeful, and I'm hopeful to get design back. Design as, you know, people that make beautiful, distinct, uh, aesthetically pleasing things. Um, so I think we're, we're we're in the beginning of something new, which I I think will be better than the two previous versions. Yeah, one of the things that we grapple with is in our industry, which is healthcare. You know, the problems that that we face are complex, complicated problems, and we always talk about how these challenges oftentimes need to be addressed by cross-disciplinary teams that, you know, the, the, the one group like operations or quality uh, assurance groups, they, they can't be the only teams to fix them. And I'm just wondering, in your line of work, in your experience, and in this third wave of design, is it about cross-disciplinary teams? Is it about the complexity of the problem? You know, how do we address that in those kinds of terms? Yeah, I, th- I think what happened with design thinking was that designers, um, and this is particularly the case at Silicon Valley, thought that they could do all of those tasks. And of course they can't. I mean, no group can do all of those tasks because it is, uh, those are complicated things. I mean, making a hospital involves design, but also involves understanding what the practices of nurses and doctors and you know, the lives of patients and families alike. And it also involves operations and efficiencies in terms of 
how to organize things. So it's a, it was a little bit of a hubris to think that, you know, one group could do it all. That doesn't mean that that group, in this case designers, shouldn't be deeply involved and maybe even leading it. But but it means that you need a different kind of respect for other groups and other ways of working. And I think that is, you know, you can call it interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary or I don't, I don't know all those words, but it basically means respect for each other and respect for each other's craft and being open to other people knowing something that you don't. I, I think that those are the best projects I see are the ones where, where there is no sort of Hooper's arrogance group. And I think because design was so expanded into, you know, the group that should solve the climate crisis, um, and solve our healthcare mess, uh, then maybe we forgot some of the things that designers can really do, which is making things delightful and exciting and beautiful. And, and everything just ended up looking the same. So I, 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 I miss designers. I miss people with this aesthetic vision that can push the other groups to make something that is, uh, you know, got that. Yeah. Do you think that it it takes a large company like an IDO or a a figure like you know Philip Stark or 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 educating designers in a new way? Like, how are we going to get to this new third wave? Well, I think it'll happen by itself. So, I mean, IDO is not in a very good place right now. Yeah. Um, because many, 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 many of the projects they did. Uh, did not really work. And, you know, when did they last do something great? It's been, it's been a while. Uh, I can't really remember. So, so I think, uh, that company is maybe not within reach, but, but, um, but I think the market will do it by itself. I think the changes I see in the large companies of the world and the social media companies and the software companies and the auto industry, uh, which are some of the ones I work with, um, points in this direction. So the market will take care of a lot of this and will, um, I think, end up in a, in a new situation that's better than the one we have. Um, you know, the products look very much the same. And I think people, executives, will be looking for differentiation in a different way mm-hmm. that the existing design paradigm can't give them. So I, I'm not so I'm not so worried about the change. I think the change will happen by itself, and I think there'll be some casualties on the way, um, and I think that's already happening right now. Yeah, it's interesting as you're talking about you know design thinking. One of the critiques that at least I've heard is much of it is about distilling it down to a said process, and it almost goes against the first wave of design as you're talking about this kind of the art of design and really allowing for creative freedom and expression and and what we would call research through making you know allowing for a process of making and uh, failure really to allow for ideas to be propelled further you know it's it's I wonder if it's a little bit about also finding the middle ground between there I feel like there's such a a drive to nail down this deliberate process of design and it you know it dilutes it 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 brings it down to kind of oh well anybody can do this if we can make it into this 
said process. It's unfortunate because I think it's killed <laughs> killed a lot of creativity um, in yeah. design. Right. I mean, it's it's the idea. First of all, what does design thinking really mean? If you want to criticize something, it's nice to know what it is you're criticizing. <laughs> and I I just can't I can't get my arms around what it means. Mm-hmm. Other than a very simple process where anybody can do design. Anybody is a designer, and design mm-hmm. is everything. Right. And it's as if it's a democratizing of design that anybody can do it, which means that you don't have to be particularly well-trained in it. No. And you don't have to be particularly creative to do it. And it's, you know, it's um, hard to do design. It's really yeah. hard. And it means that you have to suffer through uh, iterations of something and thinking hard about how to deal with a particular problem, how to create something wonderful. And thinking that you can almost create a manufacturing process uh, is something you need if you want to scale a design firm, yeah. but it's not something that helps make good things. Yeah. Um, and I and I I really I'm really scared about abstract processes uh, because people that are at least my observation is people that are really good at it work in different ways and they work in quite idiosyncratic ways. And I can live with that. I love that if the outcome is good, then I I would be willing to pay for it. So this sort of Process-driven design, uh, where there's an A, B, C, D, E, and boom, there's a breakthrough. I don't, I don't buy it, and I've seen it too many times to really believe in it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the the fear or the frustration with with having something a little bit more ambiguous, where you know we're always trying to tell people, you know, you can't really create a process and expect good things to come out at the end of a brainstorm or a, because it takes some so much massaging and nuancing and and thinking about what you're doing that it, you can't do that in a three-hour workshop but that's the expectation that's been set right yeah. those those workshops are torture oh yeah i just can't stand them but i, I think there's a very important component too which is about taste yeah so let's talk about taste. taste. <laughs> yeah, taste matter. Yeah. You know, the, the best designers I met or the best people I met have a taste in something. So musicians would have a taste for how a drum should sound or a violin. Uh, and the same happens in design, that if you have no taste, if all you are is really a process and there's no taste involved, you're probably pretty mediocre. So I think embracing taste that if I go to work with you, I also work with your taste. Right. And and that, that is maybe the most valuable thing I'm involved with is an eye for something and a, and, a, and a particular opinion about what things ought to look like or how things ought to work. And we've yeah. gone away with that. Uh, and, you know, the second phase in what we talked about before sort of killed that. Yeah, um, we tested it all out and squeezed it, squeezed all of yeah. that quality out. Yeah. And that's the quality. The yeah. quality is, I, I buy your taste, right? And that used to be the case. Right? When you went to Philip Stark, you bought his taste. And you might not like it. I, I personally am not wild about it. But you knew what it was. And that still exists in architecture. If you go to Bob John Pawson, 
and you buy, you know, a house from him, you will know that it, his taste will be an important component of it. And that will drive you probably towards limestone and, you know, a particular light setting. The same goes with, with designers, that if taste is gone as a relevant element, uh, there's no aesthetic vision. And then, of course, there'll be only brand product, which is what we have right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we really need to, to push it. I, you know, I think, you know, the early modernists where they were, you know, and even, you know, the Eames and, you know, there's just different ways to push it. But there's there was always some kind of underlying perspective or point of view. And I think we've we've in, you know, to your point where everything looks the same, it's like we've all just kind of accepted that design is is one way. And if you make it with rounded corners, then there's design. Right. But and I think that also that <laughs> skill set of, you know, I think when design started to become a, a way of thinking, a way of communicating empathy, these things that we say that designers bring to the table, I think that people lost the taste aspect of it. So in talking to someone, you know, just like you would bring an aesthetic taste, it's like it should be that I'm bringing you to the table for this thinking. I'm bringing you to the table because I trust that the way that you look at this problem is different than um, the way that others do. And so that's an advantage, and that's why I'm bringing you on. And I, I feel like that's lost. Yeah. They're just checking a box. They're saying, oh, well, we're told that we need to bring design in, so we're going to just check that box. And who cares what the way that you think or how you are, you know? Yeah. But then... What's the point? Right. Yeah. Right. What's the point? That's the point. It's yeah. to check yeah, the box. Money. That's what yeah. it is. It's to a check lot of box. money wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I miss the taste of designers. Whether I hate it or like it. Yeah, that's right. I just miss. I just miss that there are opinions and yeah. visions about it. That's right. Well, Christian, we could, would love to talk to you more about this, and we will, I'm sure. And but we really appreciate bringing you on, and and for you making the time. We love this perspective and yeah we hope that our listeners are really kind of soaking that all in i'm sure that we'll hear a lot that they'll want to hear lots more so <laughs> this might just be a part one for us it's the next I'm... book for you i would <laughs> think. oh dear <laughs> don't you think <laughs> you have it lined up before your next one's finished <laughs> uh, thank you so much for inviting me yeah oh really i appreciate the time and we'll talk to you soon yeah it's been an honor soon. thank you have a great day Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So that was a great episode and we have so much more to come and so much more to share. So next episode is with Zeb Newworth, who is an inspiring podcaster himself. He's got this great podcast called Creating a New Healthcare that's been very influential to us. So stay tuned for future episodes and the end of a fabulous season four for Yano. If you want to reach us, you can find us on the web and on Instagram, Yano Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Yano Podcast. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Nate from Figure Eight Studios. Nate from Figure Eight. You're so great. I'm a poet. (laughs) (laughs) And this episode was produced and edited by the fabulous Tori Flack. The music was recorded and produced by Chessmith, as usual. Until next time. <laughs>